to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by SCI. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks today. Appreciate you dropping by. Uh, that's uh, Parker Millsap, Truck Stop Gospel, by the way. Great tune there. Uh, we've got an awesome show lined up for you today as fall is finally here. Dove season is in full swing. Uh, early teal, early resident goose. Uh, those have opened up in a lot of places as well. Uh, folks hitting the backcountry for pronghorn, archery elk, uh, mule deer, all that going on out west. I'm headed to uh, New Mexico basically as soon as we get off the air here uh, for an archery elk hunt, which if you asked me what my favorite thing to hunt is, I would tell you, elk with a bow. During the rut, in the mountains, it just doesn't get much better. Uh, when a big bull fires up, it'll send chills down your spine, make the hair on your arm stand up. Ooh, can't wait. Cannot wait. But uh, anyway, what's on the docket for today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one that Granddaddy passed down years ago. Still got mud caked on it from... Duck season's come and gone, if it's like mine anyway. And so to kick things off today, we're going to head to the backcountry and talk a little elk hunting before transitioning into the meat of today's conversation, which will center around a recent hunt of Zach's where he was able to, and it was actually an elk hunt that turned into a wolf hunt, but he was able to, uh, to put a tag on a giant Idaho wolf and the subsequent backstory behind that animal is pretty fascinating indeed, as was the hunt itself. So Zach will share all the details of how that hunt played out and then the, uh, the backstory of what he learned regarding just how far that wolf had traveled to get to his area of Idaho. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. So fascinating stuff concerning uh, one of our apex predators coming up in just a bit and then we'll head to quiet cat headquarters in colorado eagle colorado as ryan spinks will join us and we'll get into the history of the e-bike and how over the last i don't know five or six seven years the e-bike has really taken a hold among the hunting community it's i mean there's just so many pros and i haven't found any cons when it comes to my uh, quiet cat apex uh, been able to use it turkey hunting scouting filling feeders checking trail cameras i mean you name it and it gets me into places that a lot of times are inaccessible by truck or by atv so a uh, big fan of the quiet cat and the e-bike innovation that we're seeing in the industry right now today uh, so we'll get into its applications and discuss the different specs on uh, the Quiet Cat bikes. So cool stuff coming up with Quiet Cat here in a little bit. 
Uh, that's what's on the schedule for today's presentation. I'm certainly excited about it. A uh, couple other things to mention. Actually, just one. Let's do this. Let's just do a quick giveaway. Um, last week, we did a Havilon Peranta. We're going to do another one. And congrats, by the way, to Alan Cook of Crumb, Texas. He won last week's uh, giveaway by emailing in the word Havilon. So let's just run it back. Email the word Havilon to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. And you will be eligible to win my favorite skinning and caping knife uh, in the Havilon Peranta. Let's take a break. Up next, Zach Owens joins us from somewhere in the mountains of Idaho. We're talking elk and wolves right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Every engineer on every train, all of their children and all of their names. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. There's a river tumbling down the mountainside. I can feel the north wind blow through the trees. Over to the other side, carry me down to the valley below, and I'm on the road bound for home. Oh, Reckless Kelly, Idaho, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by SCI. Feels good to say that. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer as well, our longtime presenting sponsor. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here. I'm Cable Smith, and uh, we're about to head up to Idaho, talk a little elk hunting, archery elk hunting, and then we'll segue into those amazing beasts that somehow take down bull elk and bull moose, et cetera, et cetera, wolves. Uh, the, certainly, well, I believe to be the apex predator in North America. They are the best killers on the continent, no doubt about that. Possibly the best killers in the world. I don't know, maybe a pride of African lions would have something to say about that. But uh, for North America, there's no doubt in my mind, they are the best of the best. They're the most capable and willing and opportunistic predator out there, which is why since reintroduction, they've just been thriving despite hunters' best efforts to keep their numbers in check. They're showing up in places they've never been before. So uh, they're doing great. <laughs> Good for them, bad for elk and uh, other ungulates. But uh, hunting, especially predator hunting, is conservation. And Zach Owens of Beyond the Backcountry will be here in just a second 
to talk about a recent wolf hunt. But uh, before we do that, this segment brought to you by the Pulsar Helion 2.0. I'll be taking mine on that elk hunt to New Mexico, and it is an invaluable tool when it comes to scouting. Of course, you can't mount the uh, binocular on a rifle, and I'm not going to have a rifle with me anyway. But what you can do is look for big game animals under the cover of darkness. Say you're sneaking in early. If you're getting up high on a on a ridge line, glassing into a, a mountain meadow, yeah, you're going to know what's down there. And uh, it's, like I said, just a great tool. It's the Helion 2.0. It's got internal recording, all that cool stuff. Uh, the, uh, the amazing color palette options that come with a Pulsar unit. And you'll get 20% off any Pulsar, monocular, or bino when you use my promo code Lone Star underscore PL when you check out at PulsarNV.com. So check that out. Uh, with that being said, and also check your uh, your state regs because there are some states that don't allow thermal at all. Just FYI, want to throw that out there as well. New Mexico does allow it. So uh, now without further ado, let's bring him on right now. Making his return to the show is our good friend Zach Owens. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a minute. Uh, probably, gosh, probably four or five years since the last time you were on. But time flies. I think you're. Uh, you've had two kids since then, and I don't know how. How old is your oldest son? Uh, three. Three. Okay. Yeah. My, three and a half, almost. I think I probably was a father of three already, but mine are seven, five, and five. So you're you're catching up. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully it stops here. But my wife wants another one, so we'll see. <laughs> Oh, God works in, in mysterious ways because I always told yep. my wife that I only wanted two, and uh, she wanted three, so he gave us twins the uh, the second go round. Oh, she got shit. she got her way. <laughs> Dang, yeah, yeah I, got, I got lucky. I had two boys, and that's what I wanted. And I'm like, all right, call it. Yeah, call it done. The uh, the vasectomy that you don't tell her about is in the cards for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy September for you so far. I saw you, you managed to, uh, punch your, uh, elk tag already. Yeah. Yeah. Actually my antelope and my, I guess my antelope was a week before September, but yeah, I, I, I was able, and actually my elk was August 31st, second day of season. So it wasn't even in September, but yeah, I shot a, a pretty nice bull. So, yeah. So is elk your favorite thing to hunt with a bow? Uh, I don't know. I get asked that question a lot and it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a bow hunter, so I like hunting everything with a bow. There's just things about certain critters that, I mean, you know, I love bear. I love bear hunting. I antelope is my favorite meat. And I don't know. There's, I couldn't, I can't really choose, you know, you love them all. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat elk, but yeah. No, it is yeah, hard. Yeah, I mean, to gun, gun to my head, one species, I'd probably have to choose out. So you took that bull on August thirty first, um, and and you're up there. You're in Idaho. Yeah. Um, which that's long before they're really rutting and fired up. I told you I'm going to New Mexico next week, or actually leave this weekend. Uh, this will be my first time ever hunting during the third week of September. I've always done the first or second week. And yep. sometimes you get a lot, you know, you get some pre-rutting and usually into that second week, 
bulls are starting to to bugle somewhat regularly but uh what what is your favorite time of the uh uh season? i mean the last six bulls i shot were the first week of september so so do you have the luxury of, of actually the first five days of the season i think yeah so, so do you have the luxury of, of patterning these bulls or are you just going in? I mean, obviously you, you No, I'm, I'm calling them in. I just, I, I had really good luck. I, you know, they're, I, I believe elk or bulls are more interested in fighting than breeding early. And so I use that to my advantage and I just, I'm bugling everything in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you know, weather, you never know. I mean, last year was 92 degrees when I shot my bull, but, uh, it, it, and that bull, I actually, he was bugling that morning, but I snuck in on him and shot him. But, uh, the, uh, yeah, I just, I like it early, not as many guys out. And, and, uh, I've just kind of, I guess I've just kind of figured it out over the years. It took me a lot of years, but I figured out how to call them early and, I just I like the way they they act early. You know, they're not all cowed up too, so mm-hmm. you can call big bulls in. And yeah, I just I, I like that early season. I mean, it's it's obviously they're gonna start to respond a lot better as season progresses. But yeah, yeah. I've had really good luck over the last few years with uh, that early with you know hunting early season. Well, is the is the area that you hunt highly pressured? I mean, does that have something to do with it as well? Um, yeah, it's been, uh, I've hunted quite a few different, um, units over those years, Yeah. but no, I wouldn't say it's highly pressured. I mean, some of the units are, it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm making sure I get away from the people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. See, I've shot, uh, I've taken two bulls with my bow on public land and they were, Within, they were four years apart and within literally a half mile of where I shot the first one in 2015 and then shot another one in 2019. And it was both days, it was on September 7th. So it was like, you know. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool. I I love learning a spot and and learning what the elk do, but there's, I'm, 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 I'm one of those guys that, uh, I'm like, well, I want to know what this unit's like, and so I, 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 I jump around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, something really cool happened for you this past week, and um, you know, I always, I always chalk it up as, as predator predator management being conservation, because at the end of the day, that's what it is, especially when it comes to a species like wolves that. Uh, think people can think what they want, but a lot of times they're just uneducated or they don't want to believe the truth. And the truth is that wolves will kill indiscriminately. They'll kill a 350-inch bull just as easily as they will uh, a cow or a mule deer. They don't they don't care. They kill what's in front of them, and they're they're excellent at it. And and for that reason, they're an animal to be respected. Um, and I, I admire them, but at the same time, I uh, I certainly enjoy pursuing them. I don't get to do that in Texas. I had to go up to uh, British Columbia to get mine on a on a trap line deal. But you actually went. Uh, I think you were helping someone else try to get an elk. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I was I actually had the whole week off of work, and I, I killed my bull early, so I was just going to be the caller. And yeah, I hunted eight days, and 
packed a rifle around for eight days and every day <laughs> I'd lift my pack, you know, on my back and I'm like, why am I toting this thing around? But yeah, you know, when you're in wolf country, it's, they're such a hard critter to hunt. It's just like, you have to be, you gotta be ready because it could happen any minute. So, yeah. Well, so what is the legality of that? Um, once you've punched your tag, you can have a rifle. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, technically, there's not. I mean, there's a. There, you know, bear season is open, and you know, that's any weapon. Okay. Um, wolf season's open, and that's any weapon. So yeah, I mean, the first day, I think the first opening day of elk, I had my rifle on my back the whole day as I walked around with my bow. Wow. <laughs> okay. You've taken a wolf previously. Yeah. Yep. where was yeah, that my second one okay this um, is in idaho too yep yep that was in idaho i've been hunting wolves actually since i think since it opened or the the second year it opened so like a decade now then opened since 2009 i mm-hmm. believe is when it opened so just to start hunting in 2002. put it into context as far as how hard it is to kill these things and why yeah, people want to bitch I mean, about oh you, why would you kill a wolf you've been hunting them for a decade and have killed two Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. I and I really got after it there for a few years and actually had a wolf journal for every time I went hunting and I tracked my miles and um I actually can't find I've moved a couple times and can't find it but I'd like to find out I do remember for a fact it was day sixty nine of hunting over three years that I had my first opportunity. Wow. And I ended up missing. But uh <laughs> it uh since then, I you know I've figured packs out a little bit more. I've figured out way smarter ways to hunt them. Um, they just they they move so much. Mm-hmm. You know they got a 120 square mile range. You know in their territory, so yeah, a lot of it is is you know right place, right time. Obviously they they hang where the where the elk are. Mm-hmm. So that helps, you know, knowing it, but yeah, they're just, I mean, they're, I've, I've hunted everything in Idaho and, uh, I mean, and you know, as a whitetail hunter, there's very, very, very few animals smarter than a old big whitetail buck. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I still think a, a wolf is, is leaps and bounds even above that. And that's, you know, even gun hunting. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if you were to pick up an issue of, of Field and Stream in, in 1970, it would have the best elk units in the United States. And the Lolo would be in there, um, famous Idaho area. And uh, what is it? Is it the Selway, maybe? What is the? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always changed a little bit, but Idaho has always had multiple spots that were, you know, considered some of the best. Yeah, elk hunting. But the Lolo is like right, like one of the top three or four when people would think about trophy public land elk, you know, and and numbers and and then just over the course of your lifetime, I'm sure you've seen that change. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's every. I mean, Lolo got hit is probably the most drastic. Uh, they probably got hit one of the hardest, mm-hmm. but. I mean, even even units, yeah, that I remember hunting with my dad as a kid, the amount of elk you see uh, or you saw and sign you saw 
I mean, it, 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 it pales in comparison now. Yeah. I wish people that lived in Colorado would, would take notice of, of this type of commentary people that have lived and hunted with wolves for the majority of their adult life. And, and you see their boots on the ground take on, on what's actually going on in the landscape. Because, you know, I mean, Colorado, it's, it's very well known. They're trying to, there's actually a ballot initiative uh, on, it'll happen on election day. And the public, all of the, uh, the hippies and rednecks and cowboys will decide on the fate of the state's wildlife and they'll vote whether or not to reintroduce wolves. And to me, that's just mind blowing. Why do you even bother having trained wildlife biologists who went to school for that stuff? Yeah. And I mean, the problem is it's not in the end of the day, it's people in Washington, you know, Hmm. and elsewhere suits and have nothing to do with actual sportsmen or biologists that, that made the final decision. That's how it happened in Idaho. Um, yeah. You know, they, they they knew, you know, the people who are actually boots on the ground, they knew what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I, I think the writing's on the wall. If I had to, if I, if I was a betting man, I would say Colorado's going to screw that up. The population's going to get it wrong. And, yeah. you know, that's the way it's going to go for them. Um, let's yeah. do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back and, and I want to hear how this, this, this particular wolf hunt played out because it's fascinating and then to find out just how far this wolf traveled uh, i think is something people are going to find interesting as well so sound good sounds good all right and that segment brought to you by rustic reminders taxidermy with locations in marion and san antonio texas josh and becky gunther are not only my good friends but they're the best taxidermists that i've ever come across and trust me i went through some bad ones before finding rustic reminders they do amazing work. They answer the phone when I call. They'll answer your call as well. And uh, they offer fast turnaround time. They're the best of the best. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Up next, we'll find out how this wolf hunt played out on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Crazy moon, keep on shining down. Sing a song to you. Crazy Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. When the wolves are hungry, the wolves are 
Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's American Aquarium. Wolves the name of that one. And uh, we're actually about to get into an epic wolf hunt. But uh, before we do that, so we'll continue our conversation with Zach Owens. This segment brought to you by SCI, an organization with a rich tradition of hunter advocacy and conservation, both foreign and domestically. Uh, so, you know, I really like that about SCI is the the importance that they put on North American big game as well as international conservation issues. Uh, you can find SCI at safariclub.org. I encourage you to become a member. I am and have been for some time, so check it out. SCI, first for hunters. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pick it back up with Zach Owens. We certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, man. Yeah, it's a blast, man. I'm excited to be back on here. It's been a while, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I saw you post this uh, picture of this giant black beast of a wolf on uh, on your social stuff this past week, and was like, man, that's really cool. Then I started reading your write up and find out, um, I guess Montana Parks and Wildlife, uh, Parks and Wildlife, whatever it's called, their wildlife agency, they get involved. Um, so that made it even more fascinating. And I was like, this is a really cool story, but let's start with the actual, the day of the hunt. Um, you're helping another buddy try to punch his elk tag. And did you see the pack or hear them howling? How did you know there were, were wolves in the area? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I've hunted the area before I've seen tracks, I've seen sign, I've heard them. I just, I, that's a lot of the reason I packed my rifle for the eight days and I was, it was actually the eighth morning, and I was going to leave at noon so I could get home and spend some time with my family before I had to go to work, you know, the next day. It was a Saturday, Saturday morning, uh-huh. and uh, um, we were actually, it was my father-in-law, and we were working our way up the ridge. We had a couple of bulls bugling above camp that night, and um, I had a bull talking, and he got in his bed, and he was just bugling from his bed, and as my father-in-law was working his way in on the bull, um about i'd say probably a mile and a half away a a wolf pack lit up Hmm. and uh so in my brain you know i'm like okay it's go time i'm like go shoot this bull or don't and get back over here that's what i'm thinking (laughs) so probably about 30 minutes later um i actually watched him he got winded by the bull it it circled he came into his collar and circled i I could see it from that across the canyon it was actually kind of cool to watch but it winded him, so he made the hike back. It was pretty steep. He was tired, but when he got there, you know, he's out of breath, and he's like, you hear the wolves? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> so so we hiked back to the to the four-wheeler and hauled butt back to uh, camp, and uh, that morning I actually didn't. That was the first time I didn't take my rifle with me, so I'm glad they were far away. Uh-huh. Um, because you know how that goes. That's usually when you see one at 50 yards just standing there. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we got back and he had his rifle in the truck, so grabbed his and in the time it took him to come back, you know, I kind of was able to figure out the terrain from where I was. There's tons of fires going on, so it's pretty smoky. So you can't see that date. I, I kind of just figured out where I, where I thought the pack would be. And, and it was later in the morning. So I figured they were going to be 
close to the same area bedding up for the day. Um, I thought they probably had a kill around there. They probably killed an elk or a deer that night. It seems like they kind of do like, I call it, it's like a victory howl when they kill something. They, they kind of hang around the kill for a while and howl. Uh-huh. what i've seen before and and so that's just what i figured w- would would have been the case and so i kind of had a game plan formulated by the time he got back so we got down got our rifles and um we actually ended up just walking from camp because i didn't want to we could have got pretty pretty quite a bit closer on a four-wheeler but i just didn't want to disturb anything and uh so we started hiking and where I kind of marked, we were sitting right below the hill. I figured they'd be up on the hill bedded. And, um, I howled for a while and I did some pup in distress and I just kind of shut up and, and listen. And a couple minutes, they were, they were actually in the valley. We were at the mouth of the valley and they were actually down in the valley up at probably, a, I don't know, maybe a half mile. Hmm. And, uh, so I was like, okay, now they know we're there. So I'm like, let's adjust right now and get closer, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of acting as if it was elk, you know, similar to the way I hunt elk. And uh, so we moved into the valley where we could see a lot better. Um, it's an old, old burn. So it's pretty open. Uh, the canyon's flat, probably 200 yards across, and then it's super steep on either side. So I figured that'd be the best place. Then we could still shoot, you know, if they went up the hill or whatever. And uh, we set back up. We could see fairly well. We were behind Deadfall, had our rifles rested up there. And I was, I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna howl a couple times. I'm gonna do more pumping distress. I'm gonna howl a couple more times, and and then I'm just gonna shut up and see what happens. See if they howl again or or what. And so as we set up, you know, I my I'm I'm you know, 99% a bow hunter. The only time I rifle hunt for the most part is for predators, but it's too, it, it's funny. As soon as you get a rifle in your hand, you kind of go more into rifle mode than bow mode. And so I knew our wind was, was kind of angling across the Canyon, but not going up the Canyon. And so I was a little nervous about that. And there was one tiny little cut that went all the way from where they were past us on our left and and i told my father-in-law before before i started just from years of predator hunting coyote hunting and and calling coyotes i'm like they're gonna try to wind us and they're probably gonna get in this little cut where Mm -hmm. we can't see so for about three minutes i i I called i howled a few times pup in distress i howled a couple more times and and uh we sat there and didn't hear anything for about i don't know five six seven minutes maybe and i was like well one of two things are on their way in right now or they're uh just sitting by their by their kill or they're just sitting in their beds just listening so i'm like well I, I know they're at the bottom of the canyon so i'm like let's move forward a little bit and we'll try to call again move wouldn't forward yeah wouldn't three, their natural their natural instinct be to yeah, I mean, just like a coyote be uh inquisitive about some other wolf or pack possibly in their territory yeah the difference between you know a wolf and a coyote is you know howling doesn't always work for coyotes and doesn't always work for howls but or for wolves but when you howl for wolves they're so territorial 
Um, and that's why, you know, any sort of dog, that's why they kill hounds. You know, I'm always super nervous before I turn my hounds loose when there's wolves in the area. They're just, they're so territorial. And I mean, their packs, or the, you know, their pack boundaries overlap, but very little. And, but those are the areas they patrol the most. And that's the areas, you know, where there's the most conflict between the packs. So when you can howl, that, that usually is the most effective it doesn't tend to be very effective in places where they're pressured because it's like, I think they're, it's like, it's almost like elk people just stop their four wheeler and get off and howl, you know? Right. And, and, and they're just so smart. I think they can, they can figure that out pretty quick, but I knew this area, they, they, they didn't get pressured. It's super remote. And, um, I, uh, I just, I, I knew howling was going to work more. Um, cause you know, you can play to their stomach like a coyote, but, I figured they already had a kill anyway. Right. So I was like, I want to play to their territory, territorial instincts, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we sat there a few minutes and I was like, let's move forward no matter what, even if they're coming in. I mean, if they run, you know, we can see and we can shoot. And, uh, we probably made it about 20 yards just to where I could see into that. And, you know, probably a hundred yards away, I saw the first one heading out. They had seen, you know, wanted, I don't know if all of them saw me or just one or what, but I saw it loping away. And my father-in-law was probably five yards behind me. And I, I, you know, I told him, I'm like, there they are. And uh, so I got set up on a tree. I just leaned on a dead tree that was just growing right next to me. And I started seeing the rest of the pack file out. And so when when the first one hit an opening, I knew I could shoot about 150 yards. I barked, but I did something that I shouldn't have done, and I I'd probably never do again. Is when I barked and stopped, I had a gray one, perfectly broadside, 150, hmm. standing there looking at me, and I could see the head of this giant black one around the tree. All I could see was his head, <laughs> and so I was like. I'm going to do it. You know, over the course of like two seconds, I decided I'm like 10 years, 10 years, one wolf at this point. And you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to send it. (laughs) That great. I knew they would just, you know, any second take off again. And as soon as, uh, as soon as, as soon as the gray one took off, the black one did. And I barked again and I stopped him perfectly broadside in that opening. I shot, I saw him drop and I have a few wolf tags in my pocket. At this point, my father-in-law has one. I saw him drop, and so instantly, you know, there's wolves running every direction. And on the backside of the hill, there was another black one. And I just yelled at my father, "I'm like, start shooting!" And uh, I actually howled, and it stopped it. And I'd ranged that spot earlier, and it was about by that point, it was about 315 yards, and my gun sighted him for 200. And I just, you know, with the adrenaline and everything going, I didn't think about it, and so I torch one off had i had that black one broadside and i hit right in between the legs if i would have held on top of his back i probably would have doubled mm. and it took off up the hill and i'm just you know i'm i'm spraying and praying <laughs> and uh my uh, this whole time i'm yelling at my father-in-law I'm like shoot shoot so i'm empty and uh the wolf goes in the trees i don't hear a single shot from my father-in-law and I was like, why didn't you shoot? And he was like, I just couldn't get it in my scope. He was kind of behind me and there were some trees in his way. And so he ended up not even getting a shot. But Mm. I was at that point, the adrenaline 
just dumped and I was shaking like a leaf, which is cool. I haven't shook like that hunting in quite a few years. You know, I get, I get super excited, you know, bow hunting and, but this was like a different, I knew what I did, you know, and Mm -hmm. the adrenaline just kind of dumped and I'm like, Oh, let's go get him. And we walk over there and he's not there. Oh no. I'm like, you know, instantly sick. I'm like, I, I watched him drop in the recoil. I, I saw him flopping like he's dead. I, you know, I was, I felt dead on him. And, uh, so my father-in-law finds blood. And so we start tracking him and he drops right into the Creek bottom, which is pretty thick. And, uh, a buddy of mine who, who, who has harvested a ton of wolves. He, uh, he always talks about how tough they are and how they're the toughest animal he's ever seen. I mean, you can shoot them right behind the shoulder and they'll just run, 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 run for a few hundred yards before they die. Like, they're just insanely tough. And so, you know, all the doubt starts to kick in, just like any time you're tracking an animal. And and we're going and going and we're crossing the creek and I can smell wet dog where he crossed the creek, you know. But he's bleeding. He's bleeding the whole way, luckily. So we have we have something to follow. And, yeah. You know, about what did you shoot him with? Half a mile. Uh, six point five by three hundred. Okay. Be? Super, super fast round. Yeah. Um, I shot my first wolf with that at distance, and it performed awesome. And uh, you know, my wife shot a black bear with it at like six hundred yards, and it actually absolutely destroyed them. But I've uh, I'm not a fan of fast rounds because of close range shots. And you know, as soon as we started tracking, I knew it just zipped a hole. I've seen it with seven mags i've seen with all sorts around that are super fast at close range they mm-hmm. just don't have time to expand no matter what bullet it is this uh, is why in, in texas i don't i don't i no longer hog hunt with a 223 i mean it's great especially when you're like you know thermal and it's like going back to yeah spraying and praying but it's, unless it's the first one and you head shoot them then you're just putting pinholes in them. That bullet's going so fast yep. it's not causing enough damage yeah you might as well yeah. be hunting with a full metal jacket yeah and that's part of the reason I'm like, all these fancy bullets nowadays are sweet for long range, but what happens when you get a close shot? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, this pretty much just settled it for me. I'm going back to a core locker, you know, a cheap round that I know performs every single time. And, yeah. uh, so I, I knew I just penciled through him. We, we, we're about a half mile into it. And I figured, I was like, we got to give him time to stop and you know try to lick his wounds or lay down and die or something like that Mm -hmm. and uh we had lunch had some water and we got back on the trail well as soon as we got a couple hundred yards in he angled towards the four-wheeler trail Hmm. and he got on the four-wheeler trail and i'm like well he's taking you know the easiest path so you know he's hurting he hasn't climbed either side of the canyon so i'm like he's if he come, if he if he goes on here for a while and gets off the four wheeler trail, he he's looking for a spot to bed. He's looking for a spot to, um, you know, lick his wounds or or lay down and die. Yeah. And uh, so we uh, we follow him for maybe three four hundred yards, still on blood. And at this point, I don't even know how he's still going because he had lost quite a bit of blood. I mean, right. he was bleeding pretty good. So we're we're a mile into this. And, uh, I'm, I, I just, I, I can't believe he's still alive, still going. We haven't jumped him yet. And 
I look down the bottom of the creek where, where he's heading and there's a huge willow patch. And I told my father, like, he's in there. So this is the thickest patch of brush in, since we started tracking him. And I'm like, he's, he's laying in there alive or dead, you know, but he's, that's where he went. Yeah. And, and so, you know, tracking a wounded wolf through thick stuff is, is very intimidating. Like I, I was, you know, guns at the ready, getting ready to get just bit through the brush. We're walking <laughs> through at any moment. And, uh, so I'm like, all right, well, I got to go in. So I make it about five yards in and I can see about three feet, you know, in front of me, two feet. And all of a sudden I hear him take off through the brush. And as soon as I got in, I knew it was him. So I run out and circle around the willows. And just at that time, I see him loping out and he stops just long enough for me to pull my gun up and, and anchor him. Wow. That's incredible. So what do you think it would have ended up being a fatal shot the first one? Um, honestly, I I'm not sure the where it was, and that's that's why I want to go back to like a core lock or a you know one of those blue box federals or something like that because I shot him perfect left to right, just right next to the shoulder blade and you know right below the spine. Uh huh. So kind of like that no man's land. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just penciled through him, but I mean, with any other bullet, it, it, I think it would have hit spine. It would have hit lungs. It just would, I don't even think he would have moved from where I first shot him. Mm -hmm. mm. So I walk up there and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Uh, I just, I, I was, uh, you know, I, the, the, the excitement had almost worn off a little bit in the fact that you know, he didn't die where I shot him. And, you know, you don't want an animal to suffer, first of all. Plus, you know, you it's something so rare um, for me. And I've spent so much time pursuing them. It's just like, I can't be this close and not find this thing, you know? Right. But then when we finally walked up to him, I was just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, the first thing I noticed was he had a collar on. and I had not seen that yet yeah so cool and then the second yeah the second thing i noticed i'm like this thing is huge because the, the the first wolf i had shot it was uh it was it was small it was probably that 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 year's pup so it, i guessed i'm only at like 60 pounds mm -hmm. and and wolves don't weigh 200 pounds uh contrary to what you'll read on the internet or what what you hear yeah um they mine weighed uh mine weighed 95 pounds and they were like this is a they said this is a very big female and a big male and this was in bc That's a very big female. yeah they were like a big male would be 112 to 115 like a 120 yep. is like that's like massive yeah so yep. yeah people so think like, i think like so big they really don't they get like 130 135 at the absolute biggest like yeah. in alaska uh-huh you know? and uh and so we get him out and I'm like, we're 70 yards from the four wheeler trail. So we dra drag him over by the four wheeler trail. And my father-in-law walks down the road and grabs a wheeler. I get some picks just by myself and he uh, comes back. We get some good pictures and I guessed him 
just lifting him up for, you know, the trophy shot. I was just like, oh, I'm guessing him about 100 pounds. Mm. And uh, I was really excited to get him out whole so I could actually weigh him on my scale. And so I could give a truthful answer to what he weighed. Because animals with weight, like bears and mountain lions and wolves, are always drastically <laughs> right. overweight, you know. But uh, it, uh, yeah, we we got him loaded out, and I actually brought him home whole. I got some ice on him because it was super hot out, and I just I wanted to show my kids. I knew my kids would trip out, and ended up having a bunch of my family meet me at my house, and a bunch of friends, and like the whole neighborhood came over to check it out. Yeah. So what did he weigh? It was cool. He ended up he ended up weighing ninety five. Awesome. That's yep. a that's a big big dog right there. Yeah, that's just like a that's a pretty much your average mature male in Idaho. Mm-hmm. From the biologists I've talked to, it was like ninety five, hundred pounds. So it's like anything else. The farther north you go, I mean, you've you've killed a moose in Alaska. The the, yep. the bigger they get, so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's 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 a monster. So going back to the collar, as we're wrapping things up here, where I mean, it wasn't even an Idaho collar. No, I actually I saw writing on it, and and uh, you know I had to clean off the years of uh, elk carcass and nastiness from the from the face of it, so I could read it, and I was expecting to say if found. I've actually taken a deer and a bear with a collar before, and so I was expecting it to say, if found, you know, please return to Idaho Fishing Game. And I can kind of make it through the blood and stuff, and I read, if found, please return to Montana Fish and Wildlife. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, I'm 90 miles from the closest part of the border to Montana wow. at this point. And that, that's 90 air miles, you know. Yeah. So I, I I was just blown away by that, and I was really excited because I'm like, hopefully Montana, you know, Fish and Wildlife will be able to, you know, kind of tell me some stuff about it, and uh, and you know, hopefully they'll actually be open to telling me some information because I want to learn for myself. And mm-hmm. yeah, they were actually super helpful. They got right back to me, and they're like, yeah. Um, Yesterday, I actually spoke to the guy who called me back and and looked up the number and told me when it was captured. It was captured a year before and collared um, near 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 Helena, Montana, wow. which is 200 air miles. So it's about I'm guessing it's like 400 to 450 miles from where I actually took him a so, year ago. That's where he was collared. So how old was this wolf? So he was. I think he was. They they. You know, they estimated him at three at time of the capture. Hmm. So four years old, he was four years old. And uh, so just right in his prime. And mm-hmm. and I could tell by his teeth, they they were just, they're like pristine. They're as big as they can get. And they're, they're like perfect. Yeah. So it was a trip. Today, I actually got to uh, talk to the biologist who trapped him. And uh, that was really cool. He remembers trapping him. He remembers where he was. He remembers the set he caught him on. And he was actually going to send me some pictures of him. Oh, how when cool. He, when he trapped him. So I'm I'm super excited about that. But, uh, uh. yeah, it was just – it's really cool to get to – I mean, how often do you get to take an animal and, and learn all that information about him? And that's so interesting because you hear, like, only, um, like, the non-dominant males or – older wolves like getting displaced out of a pack 
So I wonder if like the whole pack moved down to Idaho or if he got displaced or maybe he went out seeking to be alpha uh, dog in his own pack. I don't know. That's, yep. uh, yeah, and I, I'm guessing he was. There was one wolf, the very first wolf that left, I didn't get a good look at, but there were six wolves total in the pack, and he was the biggest. Uh-huh. That's why I took him. I mean, I didn't. The the black is really cool. The fact that he's black, but I didn't. I just wanted to, you know, take the biggest one in the pack that I could see. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he he, he could have been the alpha of this pack. Um. I'm not sure. That's about the age they kind of get into that, according to the the biologist. But mm-hmm. yeah, they. I mean, they're just man. They they travel so far. I mean, they've had them travel thousand miles. Yeah. So I think there was a wolf in when I was taking my wolf trapping class here in Idaho. I think the trapper said they had one collared wolf that that went fifteen hundred miles. Wow! Um, for like three years in a row, went to the same spot, traveled fifteen hundred miles to get to the same spot, huh. <laughs> which is just unbelievable. Found something it likes. That's crazy, crazy. Well, man, that is uh that is an awesome. First of all, an awesome hunt. Thanks for sharing that, and then to uh, have it have that additional information and, and even more of a understanding of the animal that you harvested makes it that much cooler. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, taking a wolf is, it's a hell of an achievement, but it's also going back to what I said originally, that's conservation. And, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely. For I mean, the, the average, they say just in just kills alone. This isn't factoring in all the other animals but just like one wolf you know is 22 elk per year Mm. so you know i figured i i took a bull this year but i saved 21 other elk right right so i did my part and yeah i think it's important for people to if you are going to be out west where there's legal wolf season and there's wolves in the area i it's tags are cheap and i mean the odds are low but you gotta buy a tag Mm-hmm. And I think it's your duty as a sportsman to help control uh, the predators if you're going to hunt, you know, the ungulates in the area. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, give uh, give everybody your, your social stuff so people can follow along in, in your adventures. Yeah, uh, I use Facebook. It's Zach Owens. And then my Instagram is what I mainly use, and that's Beyond the Backcountry. So right you can follow me on there. I got a YouTube channel as well. So. Well, cool, Zach, man. Well, hey, great catching up. And I certainly appreciate the time, brother. Yeah, thanks, man. It was good to be on the show again. Take care. You too. So there you have it, reliving an incredible experience with uh, Zach Owens, a.k.a. Beyond the Backcountry. I think the the part that really made me feel like I was there in that place with Zach was when he said it it smelled like wet dog when the wolf crossed the creek. And, and, you know, having a, a duck hunting dog, a lab that's in the water all the time, that's a smell I'm very familiar with. Uh, But anyway, what a cool story. That segment of the show was brought to you by First Light and the Uncompagre 2.0 Puffy Jacket. Taking mine to New Mexico this week. And uh, temperatures will be cold in the morning and then again in the evening. So I'll have that puffy stuffed in my pack. Also, we'll be using it as a pillow. Stuffing it in my uh, sleeping bag sack every evening. It's the Uncompagre 2.0 Perfect for these early season hunts out west. And you can find it at firstlight.com. First light, go further. Stay longer. Well, let's take a break. Up next, we'll get into the e-bike revolution when it comes to the outdoor community. 
cool stuff from Quiet Cat on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I should know better, but I guess I don't. I keep on learning the hard way. Every time I turn around, I make the same mistake. guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bowhunting and Predator Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. September in the Rockies, the bull elk bugles ring. Their sounds fill the canyons just like they're trying to sing. Fall winds blowing winter and the snow's falling deep. That's Dave Watson's Rich Fire bringing us back on SEI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Lone Star Beer as well. It's great to be here talking outdoors with you today. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, we're about to get into a little discussion on... This new phenomenon that's kind of hit the backcountry and what I think is going to be a game changer for whitetail hunters as well. But the e-bike is really making waves among outdoor enthusiasts and uh, and hunters particularly. And we're going to get into that momentarily with Quiet Cat's Ryan Spinks. But first, this segment brought to you by another company that uh, really panders to the backcountry enthusiast and that of course is vortex optics you guys have to check out the diamondback hd spotting scope series uh, coming in at like a starting point of 599 it's uh it's absurd what you get at that price point you need to have one in your backcountry kit no doubt of course it's got the quality and performance you'd expect from vortex at that uh, super price point and the best warranty in the business. You break it, they fix it. No questions asked. You can find the Diamondback HD lineup at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. 
Right. Uh, well, let's bring him on right now. Our next guest joining us from somewhere in Colorado. It's my pleasure to welcome Ryan Spinks to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. So, uh, where are you where are you joining us from today? I am in beautiful Eagle, Colorado, right between Vail and Aspen, here at the headquarters of Quiet Cat. Oh, nice, nice. What's the weather like there? It is nice and sunny right now, and uh, we've got nice clear skies today. the The fire smoke is pretty low today, which makes it uh, for a nice, beautiful day. Yeah. Well, I had a buddy who was up there elk hunting, I guess, a uh, week and a half ago, and they had like record snowfall for uh, the Denver area and you know surrounding areas there. Um, like I forget, but he sent me a picture of of the backcountry, and it was like a whiteout. You know, it's, Colorado is always so funny with the weather. And actually, uh, last week we had a record high for high temperature and a record low for cold temperature um, two days in a row. Oh, wow. Um, with, with some snow overnight. So it, uh, it was uh, it was really pretty. Uh, but, you know, classic Colorado craziness. Yeah. Now, we usually get about one snow a year down here in, in Texas and if it sticks for more than a few hours, you know, give the kids a chance to build a snowman and then it melts and that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's go back in time a bit concerning the advent of the e-bike, because that's what we're talking about today. Uh, historically, when did these things first come around? And, and we don't have to really even start with quiet cat unless they were the first ones. I, I don't have any idea about the history of e-bikes, but uh, I'm sure you do. Sure. Yeah. You know, electric bikes are, are not super new. Um, yeah. Electric bikes have been around for quite a while. People have been making their own DIY electric motorcycles, taking bicycles, adding electric motors to them, um, and, and doing all sorts of really random stuff over the years. What's really happened, I'd say, in the last five years is we have really gotten to a point in technology with both motors and batteries where now we're seeing a lot of real integration between the bicycle and the electric motor components. So now we're getting purpose-built products with specific batteries, specific motors, uh, and other bicycle components that really go along with it. And that technology has really advanced so much in the last couple of years with other electric vehicles. And what we're seeing today is the electric mountain bike, um, as well as the electric cruiser bike, really taking off as a great alternative to uh, fuel power transportation. Um, it's a great alternative for just commuting around town, um, you know, and lowering your carbon footprint. But what we're also seeing up here in the mountains is the capability of the electric mountain bike, being able to reach places that you physically cannot get to with, uh, you know, a traditional motorcycle or an off-road or four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with a traditional bicycle, it takes a, a real fit person to climb some of these mountains out here and to really travel across this terrain. Um, so everything coming together has just created an incredible new opportunity for capability and access. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, has there been any backlash from those those purists, let's call them, who don't want e-bikes on the trails? Or, or maybe they enjoy the punishment of doing it all manually. You know, there's there's always a little bit, you know, with something new, right? Something new, people are going to have a little bit of an opinion on it. Um, 
there are plenty of trails out here that people have been using for fitness and using for mountain biking for years. And there's a little bit of pushback, but what's happening more and more with the evolution of the product is we're finding that it just makes it so much easier for everyone to be able to enjoy these experiences and enjoy these places um, that it's really not the big negative that everybody thought it was. Um, and in fact, it's turning much more positive now simply because so many more people can get out there and enjoy the experience. So what was the, um, what was the ultimate goal with Quiet Cat when it was founded? Was it for specifically outdoor recreation or did Quiet Cat come into the marketplace with an idea of, of catering towards the outdoorsman and the hunter? Yep. So Quiet Cat was started a few years back and the idea came from uh, the twins who actually own a hunting lodge out in central Illinois. And they realized that using an electric bicycle was a really efficient, quiet, and sense-free way to get out and access some of these uh, deer stands out in their farms. And it was a lot less pressure on the deer, um, not running out there with you know, um, gas-powered motors with all the noise and all the smell, and being able to just kind of creep in, um, give them a real opportunity. Um, and that was a year-round thing, just you know, not just actual hunt, but getting in and setting their food plots, setting their tree stands, um, monitoring the cameras. They found the electric bike being quiet and capable was such an advantage. And as that evolved, we realized that it works in much more than just hunting. Um, I come from kind of a mountain bike racing and adventure backcountry background. Mm. Um, so I looked at it and said, you know, when I go out doing wildlife photography or landscape photography, I'm basically doing 90% of the same thing that the hunters are doing. It's just instead of harvesting an animal, I'm coming back with photographs. And so we really looked at the expanse of how the whole overlanding community and the whole backcountry adventure community could really benefit from having the capability of the utility factor of these electric bikes. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot about what you said that, and the twins, you know, their original idea of, of why they um, found the e-bike the e to be so useful in Illinois. And I've hunted in Illinois and it's uh, with an outfitter and they're... They're like, okay, the tree stands about uh, 600 yards over there. You'll see it's lined with uh, flagging tape, and it's like, you know, 10 degrees. And they're like, good luck, because they don't want to drive the truck any closer. <laughs> Absolutely, but there's, like, there's oh, a lot of times you. Good yeah, luck. You I don't even know where I'm going drive. in the dark. I mean, you know, yeah, e-bike would have been pretty handy here. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like you said, you can only drive so close and then you got to take everything with you. You know, mm -hmm. you've got a lot of gear with you. So, you know, hiking through the woods, you're leaving a scent, you're sweating, you're trying to carry everything with you. All of that was really taken care of by just strapping everything on the bike and literally rolling on out there. You know, one thing I think that's very important, and this just this whole Illinois thing just came to mind, um, looking back at those experiences, when it is 10 degrees, and you're having to walk, you know, six, 800 yards because they don't want to go any closer. They don't want to bump deer, and that's fine. But even when it's 10 degrees, you have to have enough clothes on to not be cold. But then by the time you get to your stand, you're sweating your ass off. And there's been times where I've had to take extra 
like for an extended bow sit, I've had to take extra socks because my feet start sweating, get up there and then have to take your boots off, take your socks off, change socks. I mean, all of that stuff is avoided if you could just cruise on in there <laughs> on a quiet cat. Certainly, certainly. You know, and, and as you as you mentioned, sweat management and that type of stuff is a huge factor. You know, 800 yards, that's a short walk. You know, out here in Colorado, we may have to hike four or five, six miles back from where we can park the truck to get out to, a, you know, an elk camp or something like that. Um, so when you really look at the terrain that you're traveling over and the distance that you have to go, you know, sweat management and gear management is an absolute consideration. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and that's why I'm really excited about uh, using it, particularly in Texas, you know, as a bow hunter. Number one, the stealth aspect, sneaking in and out. The things are, when you say quiet, it's it's essentially maybe just a barely audible. I guess the, the motor does have a little bit of a sound, but I mean, you can't hear it. Um, yeah, the, the motor is going to have a little bit of an electric hum, yeah. but you have to you have to really try to hear it over the sound of traversing across the terrain. So you're you're really not going to be any louder than you would be just walking. Yeah. Um, in some cases, you're actually quieter than just walking because you have a more consistent uh, kind of roll of the tire. Yeah. So that's that's certainly one thing to keep you know um, to to really hit on is the, the stealth aspect. For the bow hunter, particularly, um, sneaking in and out of those stands, and and like you said, the twins checking their uh, trail cameras. Um, I've used it to fill feeders, uh, where places it's you know sometimes it rains, it's too hard to get the truck back in there, and it comes with a, or it doesn't come with, but you can get a. You guys have a, a trailer that attaches onto the actual frame of the bike, and we do. I, yeah, you can put. Uh, I think it's rated for what 100 pounds. I've actually put about, I'm not going to say how much more, but a little, quite a bit more on there. And uh, yep, so yeah. we have two two different trailers. We have a single wheel trailer, which is you know real narrow profile, which is great if you're going to be in those single track type of areas where you need to sneak through some vegetation. And then we have a two wheel trailer, which is a little bit wider, a little more stable. Um, both of them are rated to 100 pounds, and okay. the reason we say that is I've got the two wheel rating it. Yeah, we're, and we're rating that for the most extreme terrain. So you can, you can easily put 150, 200 pounds and drag it across the nice smooth ground. Um, we rate it at 100 pounds so that you can be confident you can carry that weight across the most rugged terrain out there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I used the trailer on Thursday to <laughs> pick up the kids from school. I just threw their scooters on it and uh, rode up to their elementary school. And said, here, kids, here's your scooters, which they thought was awesome. Dad showed up on his e-bike, brought us our scooters. What kid doesn't want to ride a scooter home on a, uh, you know, 80-degree afternoon? Uh, they loved it. So, Ryan, certainly enjoying the conversation here. We do need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go into some of the specs on these awesome machines. You know, how fast do they go? How long does the battery life last? What do they weigh? How expensive are they? All that good stuff after the break. So, you're cool to stick around? Absolutely. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Stealth Cam and the new Fusion cell camera. Gone are the days of expensive data plans. Gone are the days of having to use a third party. You do it all right there on Stealth Cam's website. The Fusion is the latest innovation in their 
ever-evolving line of cell cameras. It's the Fusion, and you can find it at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back with more from Ryan Spinks of Quiet Cat on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I was born in the rain on a bunch of train Underneath the Louisiana moon I don't mind the strain of a hurricane They come around every June The high black water, a devil's daughter She's hot, she's cold, and she's me Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I put a thousand miles on my motor. I broke down in Bowling Green to find a girl who thinks just like you I gotta burn some gasoline I got a heart that's torn, torn into the name of that Ray Wiley so Hubbard tune bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Lone Star Beer Cable Smith your host here with you thanks for joining me as always as we are talking e-bikes um, something that you know, I've had mine for about six months now. Haven't actually gotten to use it for an entire hunting season. Really just spring turkey. Uh, but I can already tell it's a game changer. And we're visiting with Quiet Cats, Ryan Spinks, on all things e-bikes here today. We're going to pick it back up with him momentarily. This segment, however, brought to you by the good folks over at Lone Star Ag Credit. If you're ready to uh, take the plunge and and buy your own piece of rural property for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or you just want to get the hell out of Dodge as city life is becoming less and less appealing these days, uh, well, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. They've been helping folks make that dream a reality for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. That being said, Ryan... Walk us through some of the specs on these bikes. And, and I want to start with the weight. How heavy are these e-bikes on average? Yep. So in the adult lineup, you're looking at between 75 and 80 pounds um, for the total weight of the bike. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's substantially heavier than your standard bike. Um, but that's really because it's built with all the strength and the utility factor, the frame, as well as the super powerful motor and battery setup. Um, we recommend uh, our bike rack that hooks onto your trailer hitch. It's just kind of a tray that slides right into your trailer hitch, makes it really easy to load the bike on and off. Um, 
you can also put them in the back of a pickup truck. We have a tailgate pad that you can put over your pickup truck's tailgate that makes it really easy to just kind of slide the bike in, and then you just uh, roll the tailgate up, and it secures it really well. So those are two easy ways to carry the bike. Um, yeah, I've got the bike the pad, specs, and, and, and I do want to say, you know, and I've posted some videos of me unloading it and loading it, and uh, if you're you know fit enough to be riding around on a quiet cat, you're probably in good enough shape to, to lift it in and out of the truck. Um, but pretty easily. And uh, so, yeah, I just want to reiterate that one person can do this by themselves. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a couple techniques. We've got some videos on our website that can show you some techniques that make it a little bit easier to, uh, you know, utilize the, uh, utilize the bike itself to get up and in without having to just schlep it all the way up and over. Mm-hmm. Inside the right. right. Um, what about the, uh, the tires? If you're, you're talking about, Run around on, well, especially where you live, you know, out out west, um, rocky, lots of elevation change. Where I live, it's a lot flatter, but Texas, we have these lovely mesquite trees and all sorts of stuff that can, you know, poke a hole right through a, a regular bike tire. Uh, so yep. talk about how rugged these things are. Yeah, so first I'll talk about the, the size of the tire, um, and it's one of the first things a lot of people will notice about our bikes, is they utilize what's known as fat tires, mm-hmm. and these are four inches and wider. Um, some of our tires are up to 4.8 inches wide, so you've got a really fat tire, which allows you to run your tire pressures at a much larger range, so you can take the advantage of running low pressures, ride in the sand, the mud, even some soft snow, and then you can air up and get a little bit more traction for that hard pack. And that really gives you a big versatility um, as far as the terrain that you're on. You know, here in Colorado, like you mentioned, we've got a lot of rocks, um, but you also can get down into the valleys where we have a lot of soft sand. Um, And so being able to ride through all that variety of terrain is extremely important. We have also partnered with a company called Tannis, and we have just developed a liner that actually goes inside the tire, which is basically a high-density foam liner that sits in between the inner tube and the tire itself. So when you're out there with all those nasty thorns and those nasty uh, goat heads, you can be confident that you can keep rolling right through without damaging that pneumatic tire. Yeah, and I do have that uh, in, in, in my tires for sure. You know, I took it down to South Texas for a, uh, a turkey hunt. Um the spring and mesquite everywhere, no issues whatsoever. Just riding right through that stuff. Um, what about the uh, the battery life? So obviously these are electric. You plug them in to charge them up. Um, how long can you expect to? Well, how long or how far? I guess there's two questions there. Yeah, and you know, just like anything else, um, range is always going to be relative to how you're riding it and where you're riding it. So here in Colorado, we've got big mountains, right? If you take the thing, put it in the highest power level, smash that throttle and go up the steepest mountain, that battery is going to die pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you can turn around and roll all the way back down. So give or take, you're looking at about a 20 to 25 mile range. And that's, that's going to give you a good average. Now, you can use your pedal assist mode more than your throttle mode and kind of extend that a little bit more. And then, of course, you can just ride it like an electric motorcycle, full power, full throttle, 
and you're going to get a little bit less. But give or take about 20 to 25 miles is a good range out of a battery, and it's going to take you about four to six hours to recharge that battery. Okay. We do sell extra batteries, um, and they can be recharged out in the field as well. Right on. Right on. Yeah, I don't I don't know how fast mine can go. I've got it up to like 21, 22 miles per hour, I think. Um, but generally, if I have it in like fourth gear um, and I'm pedaling very leisurely, I'm going, you know, 15 to 17 miles per hour. And uh, that's that's going pretty fast. Yeah, you're moving pretty quick. You know, at the end of the day, you're still on a bicycle, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't wear a helmet. Average... So the, the 20 plus mile per hour range is like, I'm like, ah, I don't know about if I need to go any faster than this. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we're, we're much more in that kind of off-road overlanding kind of world, right? Like we, uh, we also make the new Jeep e-bike. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're out there romping around in your Jeep, you're probably not going very fast, but you'll go over anything. And that's kind of our concept as well, is that a lot of our customers are not really looking to go super high speed, but they are looking to be able to tackle up and over any type of terrain. And, and that's really our goal. Um, the other thing to take into consideration is where are you riding and are there regulations? Here in the United States, we have a classified electric bicycle system, which means there are three classes of electric bicycle. And that's what separates an electric bicycle from, say, an electric motorcycle. Hmm. There's a lot of public game lands, um, a lot of mountain bike trail centers, um, a lot of resorts out there now that have limitations that say class one or class two e-bikes are allowed. There are other places where you can use unrestricted e-bikes. So we offer both. You can get a classified e-bike from us that meets all those regulations. Um, Or we have the uh, unrestricted e-bike, which will give you virtually no speed limit. And you're just limited by the terrain and and how fast you want to go. I think, you know, with any new technology, um, and let's just say, with bow hunters, it, for a while it was crossbows, right? Everyone was like, "Oh, these are these are cheating. Um, it's going to make it too easy." Well, yeah, okay. There's disabled people out there that that really needed to have the opportunity to to bow hunt with a crossbow. Um, I know, and here's an example: like my taxidermist and his wife drew a a nil guy hunt down in the uh, Laguna Atascosa, and a guy showed up with a quiet cat, and they would not let him take it out there. And so to me, that's just antiquated. It's like, again, the, the people that are bucking the, the change. And change is, you know, in any aspect of life, it can be scary. Uh, people don't like change. But at the end of the day, I think common sense is going to win out. And if it helps you pack your animal out before it spoils. I mean, this was, their hunt was like, you know, it was like 95 degrees. And they got a Neil guy down and they're breaking their backs trying to get it out of there. Uh, but yet you can use a regular pedal bike. And to me, that uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I like I said, as things evolve, we're seeing much more positive um, evolution coming out of it than, than negative. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, it's it's a new thing. It's change. And the way we see it, the more that we can create things that allow more people to enjoy the experience, um, people that may have loved hunting and may have loved getting out there and hoofing it and working it and working it. And now they've reached an age or maybe they have a disability or just something else going on where they're not quite able to enjoy that same experience. We want to make sure that they can still get out and enjoy the great outdoors. 
And yeah. you know that goes for you know that goes for everybody that that wants to get into it, all the way to people that that want to stay into it. Yeah. Well, I do want to give one personal testimony of of how the Quiet Cat, in just the short time that I've owned it, has helped me. Um, well, basically, punch a turkey tag this spring, and I, I took the whole family to the lease um, during quarantine during our, during our turkey season here in Texas, and we slept in. Um, I think we'd shot a hog maybe the night before I had, uh, but we slept in, made, you know, bacon and eggs and the kids are watching cartoons and wife and I were just visiting and I got a, a picture sent to me from, uh, the, uh, wireless camera and there were some turkeys out just on a trail, uh, which I had just camera set up on a game trail. And I, I immediately hopped on the, the apex, the model that I have rode over to that area, sat down, made one call, you know, gobblers just fire off. And, you know, within two, three minutes, here they come, four of them just strutting right into where I had set up in the in the mesquites, really. But, uh, yeah, so one shot, dead turkey. Wife couldn't believe how fast it was when I when I showed back up at, the, uh, at camp with a, a gobbler and, and all less than, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's incredible, you know, technology in general allowing us to be able to do these things, right? And, you mm-hmm. know, the, between the wireless camera and the ability to get out there. And, you know, I think one of the key things to mention there is the fact that you were able to, and you know, have your hunt, have your experience, but also be able to make the best of the time with the family there as well. Um, you know, as opposed to having a two and a half hour hike back and forth, now you're able to get out there on the bike, get your stuff done, come back and, you know, enjoy the time with the family. As far as storage on the bike itself, another cool thing about that uh, that hunt is it, you've got a little rack on the front of the bike. Just throw your shotgun or rifle or bow or whatever right there, and uh, and it's held in place. Um, what other storage capacity do these units uh, come with? Yeah, so lots and lots of different ways to bring your gear with you. Um, you mentioned we've got the uh, Rhino Grips. We've also got a new product called the Gator Grip, um, two different ways to basically attach your bow, your rifle, or really any type of tools you want to bring along. Um, we have the Pannier Rack, which allows you to strap stuff to it. Like a dead turkey. Pannier Bags, like a dead <laughs> turkey. Uh, we, have the, we have the Pannier Bags as well, which are a, a really great waterproof bag um, that roll up like a dry bag allow you to stuff everything from lunch to extra clothing and all of that in a nice environmentally friendly and safe um, pack. Extra battery if you need it. Extra battery if you need it, absolutely. Um, Our handlebar bag is awesome. It's kind of a semi-rigid bag, which really makes it for a nice place to put things like binoculars or, you know, even a couple of drinks or something like that because it's semi-secure and it's got a little bit of rigidness to it. Um, we've mentioned the trailers, of course. That's a great way to bring everything extra with you. And we're also going to be launching very soon a soft cooler that fits right into the trailer. And that can be used, of course, as a cooler, but it can also be used as a fully enclosed soft case uh, to carry gear out with you as well. Okay. The thing that I'm really excited about, going back to the application for using this, um, the Quiet Cat, and Places other than out west in the mountains, you know, once again, is just the fact that I'm going to be chasing whitetails with a bow. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, our season opens up here in, in just a couple weeks, and uh, and I can't wait to, 
to get busy taking advantage of uh, of what the apex is is offering me sneaking in and out of there of all my uh, my tree stand setups what about price point what sure. uh, and i know there's obviously different models um and and so that's going to vary but to get into the game versus the high end model uh where are we at there yeah, so really, price point has got a pretty good range on it. You know, we start as low as about twenty six hundred dollars with our hub drive models, mm-hmm. and that's going to get you into a into our basic model with the hub motor. Um, as you step up into the mid drive setups, you go up a little bit more, and then adding in features like our suspension systems, going all the way up to our Jeep bike, which is our fully equipped full suspension enduro inspired mountain bike. Um, you're looking at about 6,000 for that. So from 2,600 to six grand, you're going to find quite a few models within the range, really just based on the components that you're looking for and the capability that you need. Okay. And then I don't know, but I haven't had any issues with mine. What is, uh, as far as like customer service is concerned, um, I'm sure, you know, with every company, especially starting out, there's always little hiccups, but how do you guys deal with, with those kind of things? So we really try to pride ourselves with our customer service. Um, obviously, things have been extremely busy, and we've had a lot of stuff going on with the whole COVID nonsense. Um, so our customer service is ramped up right now and really working hard to get people their product. That's our number one goal right now. Um, but our customer service is available here. And really, when it comes down to it, 90% of it's just a bike. Um, so any bike shop can really help you out with almost everything. And we're definitely here to help you out with anything specific to the quiet cat. We offer a lifetime warranty on our frames. We have a one year warranty on our components and we are available to help you with whatever you need. One question I do have, um, and I haven't really got the bike wet. Um, but is it, is it water resistant, waterproof? Yep. So are, are we like to say the bike is weatherproof? You can use it in the rain, ride it in the rain, park it in the rain. You just don't want to park it in the lake. Uh, you know, avoid <laughs> some, avoid submerging the electronics. You know, you don't you don't want to just stop in the lake, stop in the middle of the river, and just kind of park it and hang out there. Yeah. Um, but you can certainly you can certainly forge through the crossings. Um, and we've you know we've used it in full on downpours and full on snow blizzards. Um, so you're good to use it in the weather. You just want to obviously avoid submerging the electronic components. And then, of course, best practice is keeping things as clean and dry as possible. Okay. Yeah, well, mine, uh, you know, ordered mine. It showed up within a matter of like a week, delivered to my door. So pretty pretty easy uh, on the shipping side of things, very user-friendly. Um, what is the uh, – what's the website yeah, quietcat.com. That's cat with a K. And uh, I encourage you to go on and check it out. We are shipping bikes now. This is a this is a great time to get into a into a new e-bike. And one thing about COVID, um, I know that like the firearm industry, for example, uh, can't keep up with the demand. I know that states have been selling out of their big game tags at at record rates as far as leftover tags. People want to get outdoors. Has, and and I know you said you guys are are shipping like crazy. So has, has that actually been a, a silver lining for you guys? You know, uh, the bicycle industry had, has taken a huge hit on the supply chain side of things. And then of course, like you mentioned, the demand has skyrocketed. Um, so we have incredible demand right now and we are 
Um, thankfully, getting to the point now where we have inventory and we are shipping bikes and we're getting caught up. Awesome. Well, hey, Ryan, I certainly appreciate the time, man, and uh, hope that you have success in, in the backcountry uh, this fall. And hopefully I'll do the same coming up here in New Mexico this week. Absolutely. Yeah, best of luck out there. It sounds like a lot of fun. Cheers. So there he goes, Ryan Spinks, product manager over at Quiet Cat. And, uh, man, those the bikes, I mean, they are they are expensive, right? I mean, anywhere from 2500 or something to six grand, that's a chunk of change. But think about how much you spend on hunting every year. And I'm telling you, it's worth it <laughs> from personal experience. Uh, that segment, by the way, Brought to you by our good friends over at All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Big Chingone or its little brother, the Little Chingone, you need to do so. Uh, I've got one of each. And if you, especially if you're introducing kids into the outdoors, just having that comfortability factor of being out of the weather, being in a closed environment that's somewhat quiet with the carpet, throughout the blind uh, it's got shelves cup holders the whole nine yards and even if you don't shoot anything you can just sit there and look at all the wildlife the kids love it absolutely love it it's comfortable it's roomy and you can find both models big and little chingones at allseasonspeeders.com unfortunately just looking at the clock we gotta go gotta get out of here thanks to both of our guests today of course uh, Ryan from Quiet Cat also, Zach Owens, our good friend, uh, jumping on all the way up from the great state of Idaho. Appreciate him, as I appreciate all of our sponsors for making this show possible. And, of course, you guys and gals, the listener, thanks for being here and being a part of today's presentation. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great weekend outdoors. I won't see where that red ribbon goes. See your wheels burning in the night. Take this cowboy home on a midnight ride On a 